So there's a couple things I pray for. One is for the technical stuff. The other is for my voice. I've been a little sick. You know, that's what I get for getting on vacation. I was sick the first day of vacation, and I came back sick, and then it's just crazy. So that's what I get for not working. Whenever I'm not working, then bad things happen. So I got a cough drop in. Uh, forgive me if I have to cough or blow my nose in front of everybody. Appreciate your patience. We're going to be in chapter 14, and then afterwards, instead of our time of prayer, we have a special uh, presentation about some missionary work that's recently been done. And so, as I said, there's a lot of stuff going on. Let's go before the Lord in prayer and ask for His grace. Lord, we, we pray that You would have a special grace on us this evening. We pray for the technology, Lord. We pray uh, for me. and We pray for this fellowship. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see, Lord. We pray that You would guide and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're picking off where we left off. We've been in a war where the nation of Israel has crossed over the Jordan. They've gone into the promised land. They've been victorious against the north. They've been victorious against the south. And in the previous chapter, we began to divide the land and see where all the tribes were, where they were being placed. In chapter 14, we're going to see a summary of these tribes now in verses 1 through 5 and their locations. These are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and the half-tribe. Verse 3. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half-tribe on the other side of the Jordan, but to the Levites he had given no inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they gave no part to the Levites in the land except cities to dwell in, in which their common lands for their livestock and their property. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Well, that seems kind of boring to us. Number one, you're going to have a list of families and tribes and their lands and how they um, divided that land and how it was used. And because we don't know the land, we don't know the people, we, we may be familiar with the, the different tribes. It doesn't really mean much to us. Kind of like when you go on vacation and you're looking at somebody else's vacation photos. Kind of like when you have a birthday party and we all have to sit there and be happy that that person is getting all those gifts that we're not taking home. Because it's not ours. But to the people of Israel, remember, this is huge. This is their family. This is their legacy. This is where they're going to live. This is what they're doing. But tonight I want to focus on something else. It's, it's something that we don't really think about. If you're a really astute learner. You're really sharp. If you start counting, there's 13 tribes listed here. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is the 12 tribes of Israel, but there's 13 names here. What's going on? Why are there 13 tribes? Why are they always talking about the 12 tribes? We know that there's 12 different tribes that are giving, they're getting land here, but the Levites are there and they don't get any land. And so when you count it up, there's 13. Well, there were 12 sons of Jacob. 
the descendants of his son, one of them, Joseph, remember he was taken captive, he was put in Egypt, sold as a slave, and then when he gets older, the Lord delivers him and leads him and raises him up, so he's second to Pharaoh. But then, afterwards, there's a famine in the land, the Lord used that situation in His grace, and His father and the 11 brothers come down. Well, the Bible tells us in Genesis that his father, Jacob, who becomes Israel, says that Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, are going to be treated as if they're one. It's Genesis 48, 1 through 6. I'm completely blank, so you're in charge back there. Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick, and he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after as an everlasting possession. And he's done that. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, this is the part, I, if you're falling asleep, this is the part you've got to pay attention to, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring whom you begat after them shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. Go back to verse 5 real quick in Genesis. You see how he says here, they are mine as Reuben and Simeon. Reuben and Simeon are his first and second born son. He's saying that your two sons are going to be treated equally as one of my sons. That's why we have two half tribes. Now we can go um, finish out this verse. And so we, we truthfully have 13 tribes, but if you count it by the 12 descendants, the sons of Jacob, you have the two half tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. That's the reason why we see that. But when you have it listed, oftentimes one is not listed. They only list 12 tribes. Most of the time they don't list the Levites because they're not given an inheritance. They're given the cities that they dwell in. But this is kind of a different concept for us in our 21st century Western brains because oftentimes throughout Scripture, the number 12 is a number of completion. Now, you can't make a statement like that without giving some kind of facts. You know, I'm a 21st century kid. I'm a millennial. That means anytime somebody tells me something, what do I do? Some random fact. You know, back in some of your generations, when your crazy uncle told you something, you were like, that could be true. But as a millennial, I whoop out that phone and I'm like, we're fact checking this right now. Let's see. Oh, yeah, you know what? That's, that's interesting. Or no, crazy uncle, that's not true says it right here. Well, the Bible says that that's how we're supposed to be with Scripture, a Berean. And the reason i got to mention this is because I've been hearing some crazy things lately, and I'm like, no, that is not true. Well, the Bible does use this number 12 as a number of completion. For example, throughout Scripture, the apostles are always listed as the 12. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, book we were just in, that Jesus had appeared to the 12 after his crucifixion. But what's the issue with that? There's not 12. Judas is gone. There's 11. 
but they're just always listed as the 12. That's before Matthias is chosen as his replacement. I just can't help myself as a theologian. Yes, Matthias was an apostle chosen by God. He was not a mistake. I know some people say that. How do I know that? Because the Bible doesn't claim he's a mistake. And they have the number of 12 as the completion. And Paul is an apostle born out of due time. He's the 13th apostle, kind of like there's actually 13 tribes. Just throwing it out there. I, I couldn't help myself. Couldn't help myself. Now, also, when Jesus appears, remember he goes to a room. He's in his uh, resurrected, glorified body. There's only 10 of them in there. Yet in John chapter 20, it says that he appeared to the 12. How do we know there's, there's only 10? Well, remember, somebody didn't see it, and what did he say? I won't believe it unless I put my hands on, in the wounds of Jesus. That's one. And then Judas, we know he's not there. He's gone. So there's only 10 there, but the Bible says he appeared to the 12. It's just this number of completion, this, this number that is always seeking to be complete. Now, if you're a really deep scholar, and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, in all the lists in the Bible, though, of the tribes, there's always listed as 12. And you may even think of Revelation chapter 7. If you did, then wow, you're very impressive. Go ahead and shake your head like you're the one that, that knew that. We know you didn't. But in Revelation chapter 7, there's only 12 tribes listed. The Levites is listed. They don't put the tribe of Dan in there. Now, Remember that millennial thing in me, or like we're fact-checking thing? Because people will say, oh, well, the Antichrist must come from the tribe of Dan because he's not listed there. Maybe, but the Bible doesn't say that anywhere. You're, making, you're insinuating from that. So don't be that, don't be that crazy person, the crazy uncle of Bible theology who just starts making things up as if they're fact. So we want to be a Berean. We want to check these things. It's possible, but remember... The numbers don't have to be perfect to mean completion. That's why I said earlier that's so foreign to our Western brains. Our, our Western 21st century brains would say, hey, he, said, he appeared to the 10 apostles. These were their names. We wouldn't say, oh, to the 12. We, we wouldn't say there's 12 tribes. We would say, no, there's 13 tribes, two half tribes. We want to be exact. We want to be accountants with it. But this first century Eastern mindset or this 500 B.C., 1000 B.C. mindset is completely different. They list things differently. That's enough about the 12 tribes. I just wanted you to be good Bereans, good Bible students to understand. Now you can, when you're talking about the, the Bible at the water cooler or at the golf course, and they're like, oh, the 12 tribes, you can say, hey, well, actually, and you can be that guy. But for the rest of us, let's keep reading, shall we? We'll go to the next few verses, starting in verse 6. Let me shut this off real quick so I can cough. They told me, stop covering it. It doesn't work. Shut it off. Okay, got it. Let's read now verses 6 through 9. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, you know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me and Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him 
as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Guys, this is exciting. This is so cool. Yes, we're talking about the Caleb. He is 85 years old. He was 40 years old at Kadesh Barnea. That was before the 40 years in the desert and before this last five years that we've been going through in the book of Joshua. And he says, hey, remember what God told Moses? He's not even claiming this for himself. He says, remember when Moses said, I wholly followed the Lord my God and that I would be able to, to walk and pick the promised land that I wanted to go to? There are so many things I want to pick out about this guy, Caleb. Number one, he's 85. He's never been number one. Now, let's just sit on that for a minute. He has been faithful his entire life, and as far as the Bible is concerned, without fail, as far as we know. And he has never been the top guy. That's impressive. You know, for the, for the majority of us, we're never going to be the top guy, top gal, most important person, the captain, the king, the leader, the CEO, the general, you know, wherever it may be. And we are in great company because our Lord Jesus, the Son of Man, who is the Alpha and the Omega, He is the King of Kings. He is the commander of all things. Remember, in the book of Joshua, He's the commander of the Lord, going to war for the nation of Israel. He came not to be served, but to serve. You remember that? He is a servant to many, even though he's the king of kings. Position is just not that important. And in the scheme of things, position is just not that important. Now, the role is important. What I'm speaking of, though, is our perception of importance. doesn't really matter to the Lord in that way. Notice that Caleb... He doesn't even quote himself. He doesn't say, I'm wholly followed to the Lord. He says, remember when God's servant Moses said this. That is so incredible. He spent 40 years in the desert for everyone else's mistake. Think about that for a minute. He said he was, he was one of the two guys that said in Kadesh Barnea, let's go into the promised land. God's given it to us. I don't care if there's giants in the land. Caleb is the kind of guy I want to have coffee with. Because when he went into the foreign land and spied it out, he saw giants there, he saw fortresses, they had armor, they had chariots, and he said, let's go get some. He was ready to go out there. We're not talking about a theological exercise. Caleb is like, get the swords, boys, it's time to go to work. But the other ten were scared. They didn't want to go. And because the nation of Israel decided they were not going to go by faith, God said, you're not going to enter in. This generation is going to pass away. And Caleb was faithful to walk with them. How many times in life do we have to walk in the punishment of other people's mistakes? As a Christian, we bear one another's burdens. It's often, and yet he stays faithful. And then when he's 80 years old, time to retire to Margaritaville, right? Time to go to Sun City. No, he leads the troops in battle. 80 years old. That is a long time 
after when your mandatory retirement is in the military. And yet he says, nope, just like he did when he was 40 years old, let's go get it. And for the last five years, he's been in battle. And now at 85 years old, he says, it's time to cash in my check. I want to walk in this blessing. I didn't promise this. Moses did. And he's a servant of God. God spoke to Moses and he said these things. Guys, we haven't even started yet. You ready? Let's just read the next two verses because it's so important. Verse 10 and 11, it says, And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. As he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke his word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old, as yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Did you, you read that right. It says for war. It doesn't say for prayer. It doesn't say for fasting. It doesn't say uh, for humility or retirement. He said, I'm 85 years old. I'm just as fresh as when I was 40. I am now, and I'm ready to go to battle. Now, I know most of you, and I know some of you are even in this age range, and I know you are not ready to go to battle. It's okay. But these words from, from our buddy David, David Guzik, popped off the pages, and I think it's a word from the Lord to some of you. He says, we are to grow older in the Lord, but never weaker. Older in the Lord, but never weaker in the Lord. And of course, we're talking about our spiritual vitality. You may be retired physically. You may be on the golf course. You may have had a few careers, and you may have completed those careers. Congratulations. But there is no word in this scripture about a spiritual retirement until the day you're in the Lord. That means in His kingdom, you close your eyes for the last time. There is work to be done. Because in Christ, we may grow older physically, but never weaker. There's things to be done. Now, when he says here, when he says here, hey, I'm ready for war, he's not saying this rhetorically. I'm going to show you here, verses 12 through 14. He says in verse 12, Now therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day, for you heard in that day how the Anakim were there. If you're highlighting today, this is where you're going to highlight. And that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord has said. Get, keep, that, keep highlighting. You're reading right. You're reading right. Let's keep reading now. Verse 13. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, came, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kirjath Arba. Arba was the greatest among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. I'm going I'm to use some uh, younger people vernacular here. Bro. 85 years old. Hey, it's time to pick your retirement plot. 
Okay, Caleb, go ahead and pick your retirement plot. What do you want? That mountain. I want to take that mountain. Hey, hey, but there's Anakim on the mountain. If you don't remember what the Anakim are, they're giants. They're who later on, David is going to slay Goliath. Goliath comes from those Anakim, you know, a nine-foot-tall man. Caleb's 85 years old and says, I want to retire on that mountain, and I'm going to take it from those giants because God said I can. Let's go. And the Bible's clear here. It says it over and over. Hey, the name of that place was formerly, verse 15, if you missed it, Kirjath Arba. We're like, oh, that's a funky name. And then there's parentheses here in the scripture, and it says Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. You guys catch that? He says, I'm 85. I'm going to take that mountain where the greatest and biggest Anakin is, and I'm going to live in his house. I'm going to eat at his table. I'm going to eat from his farmland. That's where I'm going to retire. You may be in your 80s here. You may be eight here. I hope not, because you're not supposed to be in here. You may be 18 or 48 or whatever you're at. And you may think, that's it, I've done it, I've done enough. But in Christ, no, there are strongholds to be taken. There are victories to be won. We grow older in the Lord, never weaker. And your battle in front of you may be, it's late in the game, and you just gave your life to the Lord. Awesome. Let's go take some mountains together, some spiritual strongholds. Maybe you've had a long journey with the Lord. Maybe you were never able to be involved with ministry like you wanted to for the last 45 years. Welcome to the club. Caleb was in the same thing, wandering in the desert, just waiting. He had his career walking in the sand in his sandals. And then it finally came time when he was 80 years old to go into the promised land and take it. Maybe it's a marriage you're going to work on. Maybe it's to get those kids, those backslidden kids. Maybe it's to invest in your grandkids. Maybe it's to go on a missionary trip at 85 years old. I don't know what the Lord has in store for you, but you should look at Caleb. And Caleb didn't say, you know what, I've, I've done a great job. Can't I have one of those cities of the Levites? Can I have some of the ground that we've already taken? Hey, maybe I can be on the other side of the Jordan where they've been investing for five years. The families have been setting up. No, he says, I want the biggest giant, the biggest hill, and I'm going to take that. And he does. You guys, you guys catch that? And he does. Because there's so many people that talk the talk. They talk about Christian ministry. They talk about following the Lord. They talk about reading their Bibles. They talk about growing in the faith. They talk about how they want to go on a missionary trip. And they talk and they talk and they talk all the way into the grave. Caleb says, I mean, Caleb is the actual name it and claim it. Because he names that mountain, calls out, he goes and he slays that giant and lives in his house. And that's the kind of mentality that I want to have. But like, yeah, you know what? There are giants in the land. You know, there are people that are against Christ. There are people that are not looking at the Word of God. There are people that are against us. There are spiritual strongholds against us. The flesh is weak, even though the spirit is willing. But I want the hardest ground. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I'm going to take it. I'm going to live in the enemy's house, and I'm going to dedicate it to God. And there may be areas in your life tonight where maybe for decades even, you've given the ground to the enemy. Maybe it's a habit or an emotion. Maybe it's an attitude or a feeling. 
Maybe it's a way of thinking. Maybe the enemy has you reclining on the beach saying, hey, you've done enough. When the Lord says it's time to sharpen the sword and to take back spiritual ground. Remember, we grow older in the Lord, but never weaker. Never weaker. And so I'm excited. I'm excited. Compared to many, I'm a young man. Compared to others, I'm older. And people say, well, you know, the church is older. I'm like, great. If that's what the Lord wants to use, I'll be like Gideon. I'll be the fat, slow guy with my team. Let them have the young people. I'd rather have people that are dedicated to God. I'd rather have a Caleb than an army of generation whatever we're making up today. Let's go take that ground for Christ. Well, we're going to close in prayer, and then Randy's going to come up, and he's going to share an adventure that they've been on in the name of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy, and I pray that we would take the ground, that we would be inspired by Caleb, knowing that in you we can do all things, Lord. We may not physically be able to run a marathon or go to war, but in Christ, spiritually, there are battles to be won, and I pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us this evening to do just that in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's get ready. You can both come up. Both come up if you want to. Get this. We're going to use Mike's microphone. Mike's mic. Hello, guys. <clears throat> Just wanted to... Mike asked me to come up and, and talk a little bit about the trip that we took earlier this month. It was the first last couple days of January, first couple days of uh, February. We went down to Florida to work with Calvary Relief, and some of you may know what that is, some of you may not, but Calvary Relief is a missionary, actually. Uh, Kurt Hennessy uh, is the pastor that runs this, he and his wife, Mary Jo, and uh, they had visited our church a while back, but I had talked to Pastor Mike a while back to ask if there was something that we could do to help people out that had had problems with storms or issues and you know that people were going at and the only one that I had heard of ever was you know Samaritan's Purse and I know uh, Southern Baptist had an outreach I know uh, other organizations had outreaches but the one the big one that you everyone hears about is Samaritan's Purse well he said why don't you check out this one and gave me Calvary Relief and we looked into it and so Pastor Kirk and I started communicating and at the time he was in New Orleans, uh, before I was able to, to really get serious about it, he had moved on to Kentucky. And when we finally got with him, he was in Florida. So he moves around quite a bit. And, and this is something that the Lord put on my heart, as Mike just talked about, probably 30 years ago. But I was too busy with work. I couldn't get the time off. I probably could have, but I didn't try very hard. Uh, then there was family I had to take care of, and then there was one thing after another after another. And finally, uh, the Lord got a hold of me and said, what's your excuse now? You're retired, as he said. You don't have those obligations anymore. What's the problem? And so this is the scripture that I wanted to read uh, with this, 
and, and it's very familiar. You guys have all heard this. It's Matthew 28, starting at verse 18 to the end of the chapter, actually the end of the book. And Jesus said and spoke to them saying, you know, this is when Jesus is on the mount being almost, he's ready to be taken up into heaven. And he's given his last words to the disciples that are there with him. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. This is what Pastor Kurt is, is doing and, and, and two sides of it. And what I mean by that is he's discipling people that are coming to work with him and he's also letting them go out and disciple the people we're working with. Discipling has a lot of aspects with it. Okay, it's not only teaching, it's actually going out and doing things. And so that's what we were doing. We were going out and helping. If you go to the sunset first there, this was the first night down there. <clears throat> we drove to Florida, and as soon as we got there, it was about four or so in the afternoon, and Mary Jo came up and said, I'm packing a picnic. Do you guys want to go down to the beach and have dinner tonight? And so, yeah, and this is what we saw. This is, what, this is our evening entertainment as we sat there and watched the sun. And there, there was a number of other pictures of this, but this is the one that, this is how we opened up. And calm and, and settling, kind of like the calm before the storm. <laughs> so the next day, uh, we went, and every morning we'd get up. Kurt says, be, at our, be it over at our place at 730 and we're going to have breakfast and do our morning study. And so we had Bible study for about an hour and a half every, every morning. Started in uh, the book of Colossians, and we got about five or six verses into it. But we, we really delved deep into some, some of the study, and then we'd get ready and go out and start working. So the next one after. What Kurt did or does is... He goes to homes that the bigger organizations kind of pass over. The people here we're working with, this is a home of a widow. And, and you might realize that God has a special place in his heart for widows, orphans, and people that are not able to take care of themselves. In this community, nobody had insurance. The hurricane blew through and not one of them had insurance because they weren't able to get it on their homes. Nobody would insure them. So all the damage that was done, it had to be covered by the people that lived in it, or I think FEMA at the time had decided that uh, they would give everybody $1,000. And if you've been to Home Depot lately, that doesn't buy much construction material. Well, Kurt goes in and provides that. If they have money from the government, then they pay for part of the, the supplies but he does everything else. All the labor is, is voluntary, including his. So these, this is me and one of the other volunteers that's uh, 
actually working here. And you can see this is the floor in the kitchen under the cabinets. The wall had been damaged during the hurricane. The water had come down the wall and soaked the floor and, and it was just it was just crumbling in our hands. So we used that to, to tear it out and then the next days we put in the flooring and when we left we had the cabinets in and we're starting to put in the, the countertop and bring the appliances back in. This is a widow's house. Uh, wonderful lady. Janine got to know her a good bit. She fixed dinner for us one night. They're just so appreciative. They, she fixed dinner, had Kurt and, and the team over. Uh, she, the last night she came over and had dinner with us at Kurt's house. She just wanted to, to tell us how thankful she was that we were able to, to help out because nobody else was able, nobody else would, was doing much, if anything. The lady across the street is a widow also. Her name was Mary, and uh, her bedroom had been water damaged. In fact, she didn't have any damage from the hurricane itself, but the house behind her, the roof came off, came on top of her roof, knocked holes in it, and it, then the rain soaked her bedroom. And so her entire bedroom looked like this. It was the floor. And if you go down, and okay, this is the floor that we fixed in this house. That's another one of the volunteers that worked with us. His name's Dave. We had two Daves, everybody there. We have a lot of mics here. We had a lot of Daves there. So, <laughs> and the next page. Okay, this is the bedroom that we were in. We had to take all the insulation out because it was mold. Uh, we didn't do that. That was done before we were there, but we were putting insulation. This is Janine and I putting insulation in, uh, in this room. That's in the ceiling. We had to do all the walls uh, on the outside and get this ready to, to come back. They had already put all the new subfloor in, and uh, we were when we left, they were ready to put up the wallboard. So uh, talk about a miracle. We, uh, I didn't go down expecting miracles. I don't know whether you did. Did you? <laughs> yeah. So you can see we're up on ladders. or st You can't see the ladders, but we had to come up. So, so you're reaching up and trying to do this. And so you're using muscles and things that you would not used in quite a while, or at least I hadn't used in quite a while. So up and down the stairs, and when I got home this end of this day, I, it was all I could do to get into the camper that we were staying in uh, because I was so sore. And I looked at Janine and said, you know, if this is any indication, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get out of bed in the morning. This, if I had done that at home, I don't know if I'd have got out of bed. But we went and had dinner with, uh, again, Kurt and his wife, Mary Jo, and uh, came back and went to bed early. And I got up the next morning, and I had no pain at all. None at all. And I, was, I looked, and I said, I don't know what's going on, but this, I did not expect this. And she was the same way. She said, no, I'm, I was so tired, I didn't think I would be able to finish the work yesterday holding my hands up, holding the insulation up. And she said, I'm perfectly fine this morning. So it, it, it's, it was amazing. So the other thing that happened when we were doing this, we were about a third of the way in and you're holding your arms up because I was holding it for Randy. And again, I don't use those muscles, but 
this was just so remarkable to me how the Holy Spirit equips us when we're in these situations. I could feel the burn, and I thought to myself, I even said out loud, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to hold on. And I remember thinking that, and then we were done. So the Holy Spirit equipped us to just go on through, and I didn't feel another burn anything. So, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, we, uh, like I said, we didn't expect, we didn't know what to expect going in, but we also, you know, had spiritual warfare. You know, we had a, I had a problem, family problem, not between us, but kids before we went. So before we even got on the road, the spiritual warfare already kicked in. And it's like, okay, we're going to have to deal with this all week. But because this is a missions trip, guys, you're not outside the country, but these people need help. They, like I said, no insurance, nobody there to help them. The big organizations come in a month or two or three at the most when the, when the donations go away to those, they finish up what they're doing and, and go to the next place. And Kurt stays around a lot of times a year or two afterward to, to do as much as he can with this. So it's pretty amazing. Uh, let's see what the other next slide may be. Okay, this is his... Uh, tool shed if you will double axle trailer is it's jam-packed full of tools and so everything that he that you need he's got there uh, and some things that you never even heard of that he has there it is it's it's jam-packed full and uh, so ladders any kind of woodworking tool any pliers any anything that you could think of he had and uh so every day we have to pack it up and uh, send it home and then bring it the next morning, open up and, and start over. So I kind of want to tell a story and that, <laughs> that we had on this. Part of what we did also was share with the other people. And so in both homes, uh, the ladies were home usually most of the time. Mary, the lady across the street that we were doing the insulation for she works still and so she was doing some work at home and we had conversations the other we would always you know be talking about something and, and somebody's usually talking about Jesus and something going on so they heard overheard what we were talking about from time to time and uh, so we had they had done the flooring in the in the main bedroom but there was a little hallway that They'd just thrown it down so that she could get to the restroom and get to the uh, uh, bedroom, the spare bedroom to sleep in, but it wasn't level. And so Kurt said, you need to pull it up and shim it up so it's level, make sure it doesn't move. We said, okay. So that was in the middle of the afternoon. We pulled it up and started putting shims under there. And so I'm, I've got a piece of wood here, and I, it's, it's about that long, about that wide. And I'm trying to get it shimmed up so it doesn't move because if you step on it, I mean, it's rocking. So I get it shimmed and I look at it and Janine's across there about that far away from me. And I'm doing this. She said, no, it's not fixed yet. So I put some more shims in it and then stand up and it feels pretty solid to me. And I said, hey, Janine, look and see if it's okay. And the lady that we are in the house with is sitting in there, unbeknownst to me, listening to what we're doing. And I go over here, she goes, go to the other side. And so I'm 
going to the other side. And she said, go back the other way. And I go back the other way. And I said, is it moving? She said, one more time. And so I go back over. And she looked, I said, is it moving? She goes, no, it hadn't moved at all since you stepped on it. I said, why did you have me do that? She goes, I just want to see you dance. <laughs> and the lady in the house about fell out of her chair laughing. And that opened the door for Janine to go talk to her. Because she had been, we'd, I mean, we'd talked in passing, saying, hello, how are you doing? But when she, <laughs> I started laughing, I about fell in the hole in the floor with her when she said that, because I didn't expect it. But this lady, Mary, was, she about fell out of her chair. And then you talked to her, right? Yeah, yeah. So, again, the Lord knows, you know, who, who you're talking to, who to send. Um, she's a former Catholic. She's, I think she's still going to Catholic services. She said Mass. And so we just started talking um, about family growing up. And so she said, well, my mom shared with me all that we, she had been hearing from us. And I said, well, that's so wonderful because I didn't get that from my mom. We went to, you know, Catholic masses, but, you know, we didn't get that. And so I was able to sneak in the gospel in talking to her about Catholicism so that, you know, she would hear truly what that really was to try and plant those seeds but for um kurt he shows up and it's just the neighborhood just starts everyone starts coming out of the woodwork because they all recognize him at this point and they're he's like the pied piper um rolling along and they're just all showing up to see what they can help with um for their neighbors and just um just the community that he you know has grown there um is just really amazing really an amazing way to um, reach out to people where they are yeah if you think about discipleship you know the easiest way to meet people is to get to know them and and help them if they need something you you jump in and help them Uh, you know you don't go you don't have to be a street preacher. You don't have to be a, a, a street corner evangelist. You, you get to know him. You get a relationship. And then God puts something in your path, and you can talk to him about it. And that's what, that's what we did. That's what Kurt encouraged. And so if you go to the next one, I believe. How can you help? I don't know whether you can read the sign here or not, but this is a sign that's on the side of his trailer when he opens the door up, and the neighbors come, and they all see this says, how can I help? Well, first off, pray. Because there is spiritual warfare going on. You know, you go to get something at the store and they don't have it. You go to the next store and then it's, you know, there's barriers that he puts up in the way. But you get through it. You can give. They live off of donations. Uh, the church, he, we went to church with him Wednesday night to his home church, which was just about 10 miles up the road. Uh, and the, they have a coffee fund where you can donate. When you get a cup of coffee, you give a donation. Well, everything for the month of January, they were giving to Kurt and Mary Jo as part of their ministry. That was how they did, uh, how they supported their local uh, missionaries. So you can give. You can go to the website 
if you want to support him. Other ones, join us in the field. And like Janine said, the neighbors, this one guy came down and did whatever he could. He had triple bypass surgery twice, they said. But he was still there cutting insulation for us while she was handing it to me and we were hanging it. So everybody was trying to help. And says, what can I do in disaster relief? Grow in the Lord and prayer with people who are hurting. Encourage other believers. Clean up a mess. See God do amazing things and share your faith. There's, there's all kinds of things you can do. And he opens the doors. So it was a pretty amazing trip for us. We really got a lot out of it and uh, made some lifelong friends that 